with the Dead Sea Scrolls and all that kind of stuff. And so it's exciting to be a Christian in this day because we're seeing a lot of uh, everything kind of be fulfilled and come to a close. And uh, we say along with John, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Let's get into Exodus 19. Lord, we thank you for this time we have together. We thank you for your word. You've magnified your word above your name. That's how important your word is. And faith comes by hearing and hearing of your word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will stand forever. You were the word made flesh and came and dwelt among us. There are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. So we're thankful, Lord, that you've given us your Word. It is the one tangible thing we have that we can see with our natural eye and realize who you are. We give you praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll show a little picture. Can you, is that picture able to? So the children of Israel are going to, wind up here in this Sinai Peninsula. And then there's another little picture that we got that shows the where the Mount of Sinai is. And so that's going to play as a big part of what God's going to start teaching them and showing them. So let's look at chapter 19. It says, In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim and come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For the earth is mine. And I remind you this from time to time. Pay attention how many times in the Old and New Testament God reminds us and takes credit for being the creator. Uh, he expresses that over and over in the scripture. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses gets these. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded them. Then all the people answered together and said, All the Lord has spoken, we will do. But they didn't. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So he's kind of magnifying Moses here, getting ready to. Remember what um, Peter said, just like these guys here. Peter said, Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. He said, no, nah, I ain't doing that. He said, I'll die first. <laughs> well, then the next thing we know, the rooster's crowing and Peter's cursing and running off crying and frustrated because he did exactly what he said he wouldn't do. That's the nature of the flesh. And God teaches us things with Israel to show us the nature of the flesh and how, uh, how our will is what we have to battle more than anything else. 
It's laying our lives down, surrendering, submitting to what God has asked us to do. Uh, and that's on a daily basis. You know, I'm not talking about the big things. Oh, well, if God told me to go to Alaska and, and set up a tent and have revival, I'd do it. Well, would you go across the street? Would you, get, would you stop in Walmart and talk to somebody? See, I think that a lot of Christians, they're waiting on that big thing. And God said, if you'll be faithful in a few things, then I'll give you something bigger to do. But we view that as unimportant sometimes. As he tells the rubble, don't despise the day of small things. We view those little things as not as important, right? And so we have to be careful that we not, we're not waiting on that big thing and missing all these little things that just keep piling up and adding up. Uh, then the Lord said to Moses and the people, uh, uh, to the people, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon the Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So prepare them. Let them get ready. Let them bring their best. Now, <clears throat> we got caught up in religion like most nations do. And what we're good at as humans, oh my goodness, look how Pharisaic we are. We want everybody to look a certain way, do what we do. Oh, that's not right. We finally realize. And then what do we do? Instead of swinging back here in the middle where God called us to be, we go way over here. And now we got anything goes in the church. We go from one extreme to the other. You know, God tells us to be modest. Peter emphasizes that. But because we've got nervous over here because we were too religious, if I can say it that way, then we swing over here and we get too loose. It's hard to find the balance sometimes. That's the nature of the flesh to try and overcompensate. So I've shared this story a lot. I had a guy in the church a few years ago that always wore a tie to church. He's not called to preach. And that's not his, you know, nothing like that. But I had another guy in the church poke fun at him. And I pulled the guy aside and I said, let me tell you something. I said, that guy that you're making fun of was raised to bring God his best. Now, what's wrong with that? That's how he felt. That's how he felt. He thought, I'm going to give God my best when I go to church. What's wrong with that? Now, I'll give you the opposite of that. We had a mother and daughter come years ago and get saved. And they were dressed very, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, overly casual. <laughs> they didn't come in their pajamas, but it was, and in this culture, you know, it's, you wear your pajamas everywhere, I guess. All you got to do is go to Walmart around here and see somebody in pajamas and cowboy boots. Now, how do they pull that off? I don't know. But she said they were so thankful and broken. They got saved, and they were so thankful and broken. They said because the last church we went to, 
told us not to come back because we weren't dressed well enough. And they said what they didn't know and they didn't give us time to explain is that my dad was uh, abusing, uh, abusing all of us and we left with the clothes on our back. And we came to the church looking for help and they wouldn't help us because we weren't dressed so you see how that happens. You can go, we go, see the, woo, we, can't, we can't find the balance of that as humans. We have to, we're, uh, we're bad about going to extremes, right? Uh, and you see that in our culture, right? I mean, uh, the Bible tells us to do everything in moderation, and we, that's why we have addicts i was reading a report the other day about how dopamine works in our brain right and how it it's got this uh reward to it right that it kicks in because it thinks if i go into that whatever that is that i'm going to be rewarded in some way and 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 sometimes those rewards are not even moral right i mean they're just they're the flesh see and they're talking about how now people uh, that dopamine is kicking in with things like Twitter and Facebook. And that's why people get addicted to even those things. And this guy was recommending, he wasn't coming at it from a Christian perspective. He said, I'm recommending that everybody gets away from any activity on their phone for a whole month every year, except for calling and texting. He's, and he was in the business world. He wasn't talking about it from a Christian perspective. But he was talking about, and he was very skilled at what he was, what he was talking about. And he was talking about how that this person will go on to, and I've never been on Facebook, so I don't know how this works exactly, but they'll go on to Facebook and they'll see that they've got 6,000 friends. You don't have 6,000 friends? Who told you that? <laughs> What's that? We all grew up here, and right, if you've got five people that you can call any time, day or night, and they'll be at your call, you're a blessed person. Right? And so, but, but you know, we're older, and we, we saw that stuff come in, but we've got generations being raised on that now. And their self-worth comes from somebody liking something. They, I could care less if people like what I do. I like what I do. I don't care if you like it or not. <laughs> that's why I do it because I like it I don't, I don't need you to like it <laughs> but this, this whole generation generations are being raised that way now right and so it's this that's what causes addicts is this that's part of the reason is because of the, how that works in our brain and so uh, he's getting these people ready so there is a I, I think if we're not careful, we don't need to be too casual when we're approaching the Lord. We need to be serious and understand that we're approaching the Almighty. We don't need to be afraid to come into His presence, but we need to be serious about it. And uh, so they're getting ready. He said, take heed yourselves that you do not come to the mountain, in verse 12, uh, uh, or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain will, shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Well, whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So God's setting up guidelines. 
And uh, because of his holiness, you know, Moses had to wear a veil and all that kind of stuff. You can't see the Lord and live. Moses gets into all that as we go through here. Um, so God's setting up boundaries. His holiness is so real that there is a, and you've heard me say that there's a practical application to salvation. You and I must be clothed with the righteousness of Christ or we couldn't even live in God's presence. It's not a matter of, oh, well, I, I, I'm a good person and you got to be clothed with this undefiled righteousness, which none of us have on our own. That undefiled righteousness comes from being clothed and trusting in Jesus Christ. So, obviously, you can't be in the kingdom, be born again, be adopted into the kingdom without coming through Christ. But even more than that, you and I could not exist in His presence in our own righteousness, we wouldn't be able to sustain that. So there's a practical side to you and I needing to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And he, uh, he's holy, so he's setting the boundaries here. And so, so Moses went from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people. And they washed their clothes and they said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. He's wanting all the fleshly side to be pushed away. Then it came past on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and thick cloud on the mountain. The sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. So this was a display of God's authority and back in Moses, partially, and them seeing the realness of God, the whole people. And then God brings him up to the mountain. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Now, Lot's wife had one instruction. Have you ever noticed how the nature of the flesh is? If you look at a two-year-old and say, Don't touch that, they're going to touch it. As soon as you point it out, <laughs> if you don't remove it, that's how, that's the nature of the flesh, right? Uh, and they'll do this. <laughs> they'll look at you and think you're not seeing them as they try to reach out and touch them. Do you think we do God that way? God knew somebody's going to stick their neck through there. I mean, he's telling Moses. And Moses said, look what Moses said. Moses said, the Lord, the people cannot come up to the mountain for you have warned us. Moses just took it for granted everybody would do it, right? He found out, he spent a lot of time with these people and found out they weren't that way. Uh, uh, set bounds around, he said, saying, set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, away, get down and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. 
So God's now, do you all remember when Uzzah or Uzzah was coming back with the ark? David wanted the ark, and this is commendable. David wanted God's presence where he could be in it. That's beautiful. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. He got so excited, going to bring the ark home. And if you kind of study that, he basically put it in his backyard. I mean, that's, he wanted God's presence, right? He said, God, I'm going to build you a house. And God said, no, David, I'm actually going to build you a house. I'm going to let your son build me a house, right? Beautiful story of how God interacted with his family. But it was because David loved God's presence. He wanted his presence near him. And he was a praiser, right? I mean, he wasn't ashamed. He was... But when they went and got that, they was bringing it in on a cart. That what, they knew better than that, but they just got zeal ahead of knowledge. And Uzzah, in his attempt to do something good, he thought, steady the ark to keep it from falling in the mud, quote-unquote, touches the ark and he dies on the spot because they had disobeyed. See, And I think a lot of people live that way. That's how Cain got, right? That's what got Cain in trouble. We don't know the whole backdrop of that, but I can imagine Cain was probably, maybe he was somewhat jealous of Abel because Abel was the one in charge of the animals that would be sacrificed because we know God had made a sacrifice to close them. So some kind of teaching went on there between God and Adam, uh, foreshadowing the Messiah, of course. Everything foreshadows Jesus coming. And so there, all that's going on. And Cain, for somehow I got it in his mind, he reasoned within himself some way that basically God ought to be happy with what I bring him instead of bringing what he asked for. He ought to be happy with what I give him. And there are people with that kind of attitude, right? They, they, they just, you know, this is what time I have for God. This is what money I have for God. I know what he's asked for, but I'm just going to... He ought to be happy with that. He ought to be happy that I even participate. Oh, that's the wrong attitude. So you see that kind of attitude, people just assuming that they that God ought to be happy with whatever they do. It ought to be a bonus for God to get any of my time. Well, I couldn't draw another breath if it wasn't for him. So I owe him. He don't owe me. And this whole attitude sometimes I think slips in on, on the church, you know. Instead of doing what God has asked, we got this zeal and we run out there and want to do something. Why don't you? And you, you, if you've raised children, you know the same feeling. You know, this is what I've asked you to do. Not what you thought you ought to do, but this is what I've asked you to do. And I think we got to get out of that. I'm going to say this, and I say it semi-regularly, but it's good for us to remember. And it's, it's a stout word, I understand that. God don't need your ideas. He don't need mine either. I'm, not, I'm in the camp with you. Can you imagine God in heaven... Elbowing Jesus, sitting beside of him, saying, look what Matthew thought of. How come we didn't think of that? Can you imagine God doing that? Can you imagine God looking, calling the Holy Spirit in and saying, listen, Brenda Green has got a wonderful idea. Why didn't you come up with that, Holy Spirit? 
There's nothing we add to God. And instead of us sitting around, and I'm, this is a strong word, and I hope everybody will listen. Instead of us sitting around trying to come up with some ideas for God, why don't we do what He says? What a novel idea. And sometimes it, don't, it seems trivial, right? That's why Naaman was so upset. He said, I, his, his sidekick said, there's a prophet in Israel. I reckon he can get a hold of God. You could get healed probably if you go over there. Well, when he gets over there, the prophet won't even come out and talk to him. And he's offended. He said, just go dip in the Jordan seven times. And he's so offended, he says, there's better rivers where I come from that's not as nasty as the Jordan. He said, I could have dipped into them. And finally, his, his lowly servant talks him into doing it. But it's because it wasn't in his mind. He didn't have it figured out. And God, how many knows God gets out of those boxes we have for him all the time? And I, I said this lately, you know, if you'd have been there that day, when Jesus spit on the dirt and made mud and put it on that guy's eyes, would you have been offended by that? Would you have felt weird when he took spit off his own tongue and put it on the other guy's tongue? So, so when God, don't, don't he put stuff in our minds to do stuff for him and be humble for him? Amen, he does. He, he puts it in us, yeah. And that's what we got to differentiate between is what he's handing off to us and what we think. <laughs> and that, that comes from staying in the word and staying in prayer so you won't be led astray with your own way of thinking. But you're right. That's how we should get interaction is when God gives us his plan and, not, and we don't come up with our own. So these guys are getting ready to get the Ten Commandments here. And, um, and it said, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now, is that enough for you to go on with? You remember when we do the Passover meal, the Seder meal, there's a uh, song, Dainu, it would have been enough if God would have just saved me. And forgiving me of my sins and giving me eternal life, it would have been enough. But then all these other blessings he pours out in our lives, on top of that, we see all that. But it would have been enough if God would have just saved me and given me eternal life. He's reminding them of this. He said, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, how does that look in today's world? You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon your children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy toward two thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments." Now hold your spot there. Let's go to John 14. In John 14, let's 
Let's look at um, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. And the fulfillment of that, for the church came in Acts. He's with them, he said, but he's going to be in you. And, and a little longer, uh, a little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. And that at that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. There's the test. That's how you know if you're born again or not. That's the test. If he says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to them. Uh, then Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered said to them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. That's how you know if you love the Lord or not. It's a simple test. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. I had, when I worked in the mines, I had a guy come up to me who had uh, come to Christ, and he, his brother was probably the worst guy in the mines the way he acted. He, he told me, he said, my brother's saved. He just don't act like it. I said, what? If you'll notice, the relationships that are the closest to you, you'll let down your standards for them if you're not careful. Because you want something for them that they're not involved in. The truth's the truth, whether your son or daughter likes it or my son or daughter likes it. It's the truth. And that's what we're all going to be judged with someday is this word. You may have people outside of, living outside the boundaries of God's word. It doesn't change a thing. That They'll all be judged by that. You and I will be judged by this. My children will be judged by this. And that's why... When I raise my children, I always taught them there's a greater authority that they have to answer to more than me. I started that when they were old enough to understand it. You have a, because you know why? When the joint's being passed around in the circle, daddy won't be there, but the Holy Spirit will. So I've always, and of course they're grown now, but I always taught my children, you have a greater authority. I'm not the final word in everything. God is. And you'll have to answer to him someday. And if we're not careful, the people we're the closest to and love the most because we want the right thing for them, we'll let down our standard for them 
Instead of holding on to that standard. We're not doing anybody any favors when we don't stand with God's word. He says, he who does not love me does not keep my words. There's the test, right? And the word which you hear is not mine, but my father's who sent me again. Uh, this all hinges on us. Our love hinges on whether we're in, right? Whether we're obeying him. And that reason I turned over there, because here in Exodus, that's what he's saying here. He says, uh, back in here when he's talking about this commandment, he says, I will show mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. All right? And he, to those who hate him, they're going to be in trouble. Verse 7 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And here's an area probably we all ought to maybe rethink and be cautioned about. You all, all, and I, we all grew up hearing we don't want to hear and we, what we would call GD. We don't want to hear that, right? We don't want to say that. We don't want to hear that. And I agree, right? We don't. But you can take God's name in vain. And, and basically that word means in a, using God's name in a useless situation. In other words, you're not using his name correctly. You're using it as a byword. Uh, and it's not, you're not using him in his place. Like, uh, we hear, you probably hear people say this from time to time. I think we should correct ourselves and get out of it. But like, oh my God, what are they doing? You shouldn't do that. Because you're using God's name. The Israelites wouldn't even spell his name out. I mean, they had that much respect for him. I, I, I just don't, I believe, we, I believe our culture has got way too casual toward God. And sometimes that squeezes into the church too. We have to guard against that. Be careful about using God's name in situations where his name is not appropriate for that. Respect him, honor him, know, <clears throat> know. What if you did that with your father's name? <laughs> you know, you wouldn't do that with your father, your earthly father's name. Something, oh, my Leroy, that's my dad's name. Oh, my Leroy, what are they doing? You know? So, I just think you ought to honor God, his office, who he is. Respect him. And I know what you're thinking. How did somebody in the mountains get the name Leroy? <laughs> but how do, we, how do we honor God and respect him with our life, with our speech? Now, he talks about not using his name in vain here. Then you go over to the New Testament. And this is heavy. And it's heavy on me too. I, I agree. We will give an account of every idle word we speak. Do you wish you hadn't come to Bible study today? I wish I hadn't come. <laughs> we will give an account of every idle word we speak. So using God's name in a useless situation, in a situation that he really, it's not appropriate for to use his name there, we need to steer away from that. And... Um, 
Then he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. And it you shall do no work. You, uh, you nor your son, nor your daughter, uh, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in, in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. Now, if I take you to the New Testament, it would take us a while to run all the scriptures. Let me just quote a few things to you. Uh, Jesus cleared up the Sabbath for us, right? He said, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for the man. God wants us to rest, to cease from our labor. It's medical studies, health studies, all that have proved the value of rest and sleep and all those kinds of things. I need to learn that. The Sabbath would start at, on Friday at sundown and go till Saturday evening on Sunday. It, it, in our culture, we've kind of made Sunday like the Sabbath. Well, that's not a Sabbath for me. I work on Sunday. But I try to, I try to rest on Saturday, on the actual Sabbath, the true Sabbath, if you want to call it that. But at the same time, we're not to judge each other. Paul talks about that in Colossians. Basically, he goes on to say that every day is a Sabbath for a believer. And that he that's entered into his rest has ceased from his own labor or work. So there's a lot of teaching in the New Testament that we could surround this with. But let me suffice to say, the Lord wants you to cease from your labor and rest. And I know our world has changed a lot. There are people in this church that work every weekend. There are people, shift work, how it rolls around, on four days, off three days. You all know how all the cultures rearranged all that. Everybody don't just work five days a week and go home that anymore. And if you're in certain professions like the medical field, you're on call, you know, just uh, preachers, just different. everybody don't have bankers hours. And these factories, they uh, have shifts, some two, three shifts, some of them, rotate shifts some of them work four off three some of them work seven off seven it's just different things so that's why i believe the holy spirit prompted me to do what we're doing today have different feeding times where people can be fed feed the sheep have opportunities to feed them but god wants you and i to rest and i'm talking to myself too he wants you and i to rest he wants us to take time where we cease from our labor and rest and that's hard to do because there's so many things to get our attention. And we feel, you know, if you grew up like I did, a lot of you feel, if you're not doing something, you feel like you're being unproductive and you're not getting nothing done. But God understood the value of ceasing from our labor. And that's what he did there. And so he's, he's asking us to do that. He set it up, according to what Jesus said, for our good. Do, have you all read some of the stuff to know how important sleep is? That's when your body's repairing itself. And also, I learned something new the other day because I've been studying some more stuff about the brain. <laughs> that your brain empties all the junk out and kind of renews itself when you sleep. Now you're sitting there thinking, I know who's not been sleeping. <laughs> Because they're crazy. <laughs> uh, 
They, they're not emptying out their brain. They're keeping too much junk in there. Uh, so we, God knew what he was doing, didn't he? It's us that's mixed up. We think we uh, can outdo God. I don't think we'll ha- ever have any technology that outdoes God's original plan. <laughs> We've messed all that up, haven't we? Uh, <laughs> Come quickly, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Then he says, uh, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long on the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And we've lost that a lot in our culture, haven't we? My wife works in the public school setting and, I've, you know, she deals with a lot and has and a lot of people in that setting. It's not like it used to be. It used to if you got a spanking at school which you can't even spank at school anymore I don't think but they still do where I grew up they still spank in the schools uh, but you can't spank when you got a spanking at school you got one you got home you know the parents reinforced that discipline uh, but I, I told my wife one day I said you know if they're going to cuss their own parents out they're not going to care to cuss you out and that's you know we got generations now that are they have no respect for authority, and that's how all this got messed up. They sides, they tried to sidestep God's authority in their life, and uh, so we live in a we live in a different culture. And uh, so where I gr- grew up, the local schools there they still paddle. They get permission. You have to sign a permission form. So if your child. Uh, when we sent our children to school there, uh, if your child, if you didn't allow them to punish them, then when your child did something that weren't punishing, you had to leave work, come get them, and do it yourself or take them home. It's a pretty good policy. It cuts down on a lot of trouble. Um, but I had somebody say to me, say, well, I'm not letting them paddle my child. I said, which I knew the prince was a good Christian guy. He's actually in, in our uh, satellite down there now, but... I said, uh, I said, let me get this straight. I said, you're going to send your child to that school and they're going to mold the way they think for the rest of their life. You trust them to do that, but you don't trust them to discipline them? I said, I'd get my child out of that school right now. They didn't, they were like speechless. Because really, right? If you're going to hand your child off to this group of people, to mold the way they think the rest of their life, but you don't trust them to discipline them? There's something wrong with that scenario. So you, we, we should honor our mother and father, but we're raising generations where, and, and the, actually the Bible tells us that that generation was coming in Proverbs, right, where they wouldn't respect their own parents. Uh, but we're, we're living in that generation. We should honor our father and mother and, until they die. One of the greatest stories, and I'm not here to promote her or to, to speak against her. That's not, but one of the greatest stories I've heard is, um, I just lost her name, Joyce Meyer, how she took her father in, led him to Christ, nursed him till he died of cancer, and he had abused her sexually growing up now that's christianity to the max 
I'm not here, you know, I, I've heard her speak some, and everything I've heard has been good, but I'm not here to promote. I'm just saying, when you do that, <laughs> man, that's some Christianity right there. That's the high road. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's right. It's all about the authority. That's right, yeah. Yeah. And so she, you know, she saved, led her father to Christ and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's big stuff. That's challenging, isn't it? But what Jesus tells to do, love your enemies. It's a challenge, though, isn't it? So honor your father and mother uh, that your days may be long upon the land which your Lord... I'll share something that's a little personal with you. When my, they grew up different. My grandmother went to the sixth grade. She was told she needed to get out and make her own way when she was 13. So she left with a sack of few clothes and headed to town, walking. She found herself a... Um, uh, I'm just going to leave that there. She found herself a little job in like a little... You remember those little um, soda fountains they'd have in like a Woolsworth or something like that? And this guy uh, paid her enough to pay room and board and have a little bit to eat on. Uh, that culture, she wasn't angry at her parents. That's just the way they grew up, right? We got, a, we got 15 children at home. When you get old enough to make your own way, you're going to have to step up and do it, right? And they, you know, we do just the opposite now. We let them stay immature too long <laughs> we need to be like the jewish people and have start having bar mitzvahs and make them get involved in the community and and grow up but we in this culture we let them uh sit in a room when they're 27 and play video games and the grass needs to be mowed <laughs> get outside and mow the grass <laughs> uh but she never she wasn't angry. She didn't hold that against her parents. She died at 95. And if you talk to her from the time she was in her 60s until she passed away at 95, she, that's exactly what she'd say to you. She said, my life's being lengthened because I honored my parents. I obeyed my parents. She said, whatever they, she said, I always honored them and obeyed them. And that's, that's what she attributed her long life to. And she died at 95. So this is a commandment with a promise. And the good news about repentance, if anybody under my voice is hearing this or gets this podcast and you say, well, I've got a, there's a rift between me and my parents. Fix it. Try to fix it. If you can. Start honoring them now. Uh, and reach out and honor them the way God's asked you to do. Then he says, you shall not murder. Time has got away, hasn't it? You shall not commit adultery. These are plain. Now, if you get over the New Testament, these two, you shall not murder. Jesus tells us we can murder somebody with our tongue by speaking evil against them. That, that's why I tell people, when you get the New Testament, the standard didn't drop. That's not what happened. What happened is we have the gift of salvation and the Holy Spirit to empower us to live it. 
But if the standard did anything, he shifted it up a notch. Because he wouldn't, Jesus didn't talk about murder just in the physical realm. He said you could murder somebody with your speech. And then the same thing with adultery. He didn't, it wasn't somebody who was actually in the act of adultery. He said you could look upon a woman and commit adultery with her in your heart. So this, what, that bothers me when I hear the people water down the New Testament. There was, the standard didn't drop. What happened was, if I can use this analogy, we were in the, the Lord unlocked the weight room where we could go in there and get stronger. And now we have more strength available to us, more resources available to us to live this life than they had in the Old Testament. But he didn't drop the standard when he tells us to love our enemies, when he tells us that we can murder somebody with our tongue. That's not dropping the standard. That's taking it up a notch. What happened is now that salvation has come and the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon us, we have strength that, we didn't ha- that they didn't have available to them. So even though the standard may have taken it up, we've, we've, the idea behind a weight room is that your strength will get stronger than the task. That's the same thing that we go, our trials build us up so that the next trial may be stronger than the last one we faced, but our strength outran it, if I can say it that way. You, your strength, you're getting more strength, even though the trials may be getting tougher, the strength you're gaining is getting more, you're getting more strong, getting more of that than the trial, even though, and so you get stronger than the trials as they come. That's the way God's designed it. You shall not steal. You shall not, these are pretty easy to understand. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you've heard me say this probably lately. What if just that one sin God stopped it, nobody could do it? What if everybody had to tell the truth? What if nobody could lie? (laughs) That would change the whole culture, wouldn't it? Be great for politics, wouldn't it? <laughs> they lie all the no. They don't lie. They misspeak. Yeah, they miss. They misspeak. God calls it lying, but they <laughs> they misspoke. Uh, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey nor anything that is, that is your neighbor's. Now, covetness, let me draw this before we quit here. I guess I will have to get my little uh, writing utensil here. Um, so your life, and your life, is my life is a direct, since we've been born again, is a, we have God's um, input into that, Right? We have something to do with that, you know, sow a little, reap a little, right? So some people sow more than others. So if, if I sow 10 rows of corn and Tommy sows 100 rows, who's going to get more corn? So there's a practical side to sowing and reaping. So some people sow more than others, so they reap more than others. But whatever, wherever you're at, in your walk with God, 
he's got this boundaries set up for us. So if stick man leaves this place of protection to go after X, whatever X is. I'm using this analogy springboarding off not coveting. Whatever God's blessed you with in your sphere, when you leave that sphere to pursue something that He's not given you, in this case, somebody else's stuff, or something that then basically what you and I are saying to God is, you've not, what's in here is not good enough. I need to go out here and get my own. So whatever God's blessed you and I with, a spouse, a, uh, a servant, or help, or material things, then if we leave the confines of God's place for us, then we put ourselves at risk, right? It's like the pisteo path that we draw, or I draw a lot. Stick man's in the path, and God brings things into his path uh, as, as he is able to handle them, right? So stick man's going toward God. He's saved, and then God brings things into his life at a certain place, a certain point. If stick man goes after something, at the wrong place in the wrong time, it'll become a, a hardship to him. And then he's at risk out here doing his own thing. God says, seek the kingdom first and all these other things will be added unto you. That's how God designed us to live. But it is true. It is true that we reap what we sow. That can be a, that's not just a negative thing. That can be a positive thing. You can, if you sow a lot of love, you reap a lot of love. If you sow a lot of Mercy, you reap a lot of mercy. If you sow forgiveness, you reap forgiveness. It works materially the same way. So we, there are people who are blessed because they're good sowers. They get, they, the Bible says God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. He didn't say casually. So, Somebody, that word rewarder is an accounting term in the Greek. It means payer of wages. It doesn't mean that God always gives us something monetary, but it, it, he, the Holy Spirit used that word there because it's easy to understand. When you get paid for something, you understand that reward. There's no mistake in it, right? So that's why the Holy Spirit used an accounting word there in Hebrews chapter 11 that God is a a rewarder or a payer of wages to those who diligently seek Him. Not casually. Now, we all know that there's a lot of folks in the church world that are casual seekers. They're not diligent seekers. What happens if we shift that gear, I just talked to us, from being a casual seeker to a, di a diligent seeker? What happens if we go from being half in or 60% in to being all in? It's a game changer. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. How does the poorest woman who was raised with 13, I believe, who lived in a one-room house that they built another room on top of with those 13 
How does she wind up being raising 150 children and the richest woman in the holler? Owns about 800 acres and is in a food pipeline and feeds 100 and some families a month. You know how she does that? Because she's a diligent seeker. She's been rewarded by the Lord. She's all in. She had to be all in. Because there wasn't nothing else. She said, God don't even know where we're at until the sun comes up over here. <laughs> He's looking for it. Can I tell you one of her stories? It'll, it'll comfort you, I think. Sister Mary, early on, didn't have nothing. She didn't have any welfare, nothing. She was trying to raise these children. Didn't have a job. And she said, uh, back in the 70s is when we got pounded with snow. I don't know if some of you remember that, but we, we, would, we would be out of school for two months. I remember going to school on Saturday because in January and February of 1977, we went to school four days total in both of those months. Of course, the roads are different back in the mountains. I understand that. It's not flat. But So she said, that time frame, she said, I had $10. I forget how many children she said I had at that time. And no food. And she said, I knew the snow was coming. And I thought, I could walk down to the local store where everything was higher. If you all remember those little country stores. Of course, they needed to be higher. They, can't, they don't have the same buying power as Walmart does. Uh, and so, huh? Amen. <laughs> so she said, I was trying to decide what to do. And she said, I knew $10 wouldn't go very far for as many as they had. And she said, about that time, she lives at the foot of one of the highest peaks in Kentucky. And she said, here come the bread man. He stopped, and everybody knew her, Sister Mary. She said, known as Sister Mary. Said he stopped that day and said, Sister Mary. She said, he said, I got a half of uh truck full of bread and everything it was a Kearns truck guy and she he said I'll give you everything on here for half price she said uh. he said I just got ten dollars she said I don't know what to do she said I'm praying about it he said he was trying to deal with her finally he said I gotta get out of here this snow's coming and I'm gonna get stuck he said I'll give you everything I got left on this truck for ten dollars she said I'll take it she said, we stocked all the shelves. The kitchen was full of bread. The freezers were full of bread. And she said, I had chickens. And she said, the chickens would get in the trees and drop their eggs because the snow got so deep. She'd wrap up and go till she couldn't stand it, hunting eggs. And she said, for six weeks, we got snowed in. And we had eggs and bread any way you could think about it. And listen to what she said, though. She said, but I knew right then that God was going to take care of me, that I didn't have to worry about nothing from that day on, and now she's the richest woman in the holler. She said, I knew from that point on that God was going to take care of me. That's the kind of God we serve. He is a, he's not a rewarder of those who casually seek Him. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him he's not a rewarder of those who put God into their schedule he's a rewarder of those who build their schedule around him that's the kind of life he's asking us to live
That's a challenge, though, isn't it? Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you for all those that have joined us. Thank you for those who will get this podcast. We thank you for your love and mercy. We ask you to just bless us, watch over us, keep us in your will, and help us to hear your will so that we won't be tempted to do our own thing like Abraham. Him and, him and uh, Sarah had a good idea, they thought. It wasn't a good idea. Ishmael come out of that. Help us to wait on our Isaac and not mess everything up with our own Ishmael. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.